This is The 20 with DJ Spider, presented by BeatSource. Welcome to The 20 Podcast, bringing you interviews with the best DJs, producers, and music industry professionals from around the globe. I'm your host, DJ Spider. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This podcast is brought to you by BeatSource. BeatSource is the new digital music service for open format DJs. Make sure you get on there. They are curating the dopest new playlists, and they've got new ones, I mean, daily, all the time. And BeatSource Link has just launched, okay? They're still in beta, but this is phase two. They are coming out with Rekordbox 6 and a lot of other platforms. You're able to use BeatSource Link. Go look it up and watch the tutorial that Mojax did online and all the different press about it. It's game-changing. It's next level. You can stream... Uh, songs using your hardware, software. Um, there's just so many amazing options you can do with it, as well as saving these um, curated playlists that the amazing curators at BeatSource do. And um, we put them up there for you guys to learn from and use. And then you're able to save them into your account and stream them, save them offline if you're going to DJ somewhere. Uh, and things like that. So go on to BeatSource.com. Huge shout to BeatSource and DJ City for doing that. Yo, now I want to thank all you guys, my Beat Sorcerers, everyone that has been listening since day one, or if you're just tuning in, thank you guys. All of your feedback is unreal. I love hearing from you guys. Hit me on my Instagram at DJ Spider, DJ S P I D E R. And, um, you know, give me topics, feedback, any of that. I, I love it. I love, I love talking to you guys and hearing your feedback and the parts that you like and how this podcast is helping you whether it's just to laugh or to learn about stuff or whatever so thank you guys for rocking with me and now i want to introduce the man of the hour okay we have got someone on this show who is i say it all the time um well-rounded but this guy's truly well-rounded this guy has done a lot of insane things that a lot of DJs look up to and want to do. Um, he's very well known for being on tour with Pink for a few years. He went around with her and was the opening act in arenas and stadiums all around the entire globe. Um, not only that, he makes some of the best edits that you can get. They're on DJ City. He puts them out. He helps the DJ community be better DJs by putting these out there. I play so many of his edits, I can't even count them. Um, he's very creative. He's also does his own production. He's got his own live stream that we discussed coming out, or actually out right now, called The Hatch that he does every week. Um, I mean, this guy really does it all. He's got scratching skills, production skills, amazing taste in music. He can he can really do it all. So please give a warm welcome to. Kid Cut Up! Let's get into it. What's up, Kid Cut Up? Thank you for being on the 20 Podcast. What's happening? How you feeling? I'm good, man. I'm good. Thank you for having me. Yes, it is a pleasure to have you on. We've been talking about it for a minute, so uh, finally we're working from home so we can find time to talk to each other. Yeah, man. Yeah, looking <laughs> forward to it. Um, what? Um, so, you know, just first off... Um, You've done a lot of stuff in your career, you know, um, from coming from Milwaukee to LA and all that stuff. But over the past few years, a huge thing that you were posting on your Instagram and a huge part of your life was going on tour with Pink. Um, literally, 
what, going over 150 or more shows around the entire world. So you went from doing some of the biggest concerts in the world to being at home on quarantine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> basically, massive, uh, you know, change for you. Um, when, when was the, your last show on tour with her? So I think the last show was... Um, it was probably in either at the end of October or November of 2019. Um, oh, cool! There was one kind of last show we did in. Uh, it was a like a at a Formula One racetrack, as right? Part of the, as part of like a Formula One event, and uh, yeah, so there there had been like a little gap in there, and that kind of wrapped it all up. That was like kind of the official end, right? So, that's so nuts. And where did you guys go? You did you go to literally every continent besides Antarctica? So so in so in twenty eighteen we did uh, a run through the U.S. and then um, uh, that was about three months. And then we did another three months in Australia and New Zealand. And then we uh, in twenty nineteen we did another run through the U.S. Um, hitting a bunch of the same cities again, but also some other ones that we didn't hit the first time. And then we did uh, all of uh, Europe uh, for three months after that. That's so, nuts. So dope. Yeah, it, was, it was crazy. How did you even get involved in that? Like the first show, the first show you did was in Milwaukee with her, right? Yeah. So every year I go back to Milwaukee and I do a festival there called Summerfest. And uh, it's this really big music festival. It's, it runs like 11 days. There's all these stages. It's like, you know, especially for back home, it's it's kind of the biggest thing happening. And, you know, when I lived in Milwaukee, I always got the opportunity to play that opening up for all sorts of people. Um, so I was going back there to play, I think it was like on a Tuesday. And I got a call uh, about maybe a week, week and a half ahead of time. And they were like, yo, we need an opener for... Uh, for this pink show, do you want to just fly in a, a couple days early and do it? And I think it was on like a Sunday. So, so yeah, so I just bumped my flight a little early and uh, opened up for her. And honestly, like I was excited about it. They asked me to play like classic, uh, kind of classic hip hop and classic rock music. And I was like, okay, cool. Not really thinking about it because I've opened up for so many people there. Right. Um, and nothing like crazy has ever come of it. And then all of a sudden... Um, you know, I did one and it went well and it was cool. It was fun to do. Um, and then maybe three months later, I got asked to do another one in Chicago, like a one-off opening right. for her. And after that, they kind of started talking to me about, you know, the tour as a possibility and stuff. And, you know, I was, I was all in, like I was, I was, I, it wasn't what I was expecting at all. Um, you know, I figured, you know, it's like I opened up for NERD. They didn't take me on tour with them. I opened up for Wiz Khalifa or Pitbull or anybody. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. you do all these things and it's great to have the show and you get all the content, you get all the media and, and you know, you put a set together for it and you want the show to go well. And then this one show just happened to have the like this super huge after effect. So it was it was amazing. It was great. That's the best. That just really you know, proves that you never know what's going to happen and you should always be so prepared and give it your all no matter what, you know? I mean, I think a lot of those, like you said, you opened up for all those groups and even I as a DJ have had so many opportunities like that where I'm like, okay, I'm going to kill it and then I'm going to be in this Adam Sandler movie or I'm going to go on tour with this yeah, person. Yeah, yeah. And then after, maybe someone says a nice thing to me and then, but then that's it, you know, and it doesn't lead to like a life-changing 
event. But uh, you never know. You know what I mean? Obviously, that was the perfect storm of things coming together. And, and you know, one of the cool things about it was that when they when they told me the kind of the format they wanted for the set, I was like, oh. I can do this. Like I'm uniquely suited to do this sort of a set. Yeah. And I had put stuff in my set that I had put on mixes five years, almost 10 years earlier. I was pulling from like routines and blends and kind of creative ideas from stuff I had done. And and that's something that I always really believe is like, you know, we all do this work and maybe you work on something one week. You don't get to play it at that gig on the weekend or whatever. It doesn't work out, but that's your work forever. And maybe it's just going to take a little while to find its home and to find the audience that it's going to resonate with. And so it's one of those things where it's like, oh, yeah, like, I'm glad that I kind of just keep working, you know, all the time trying to, like, figure out, like, what's new, what's interesting, even if I don't necessarily have an outlet all the time for that immediately. If I have, like, a creative idea, it's like, cool, let's, let's build it out. Let's try it. Let's, you know, see if you can make it happen. Yeah, that's true. A lot of times I make edits and then I go, what am I going to do with this? (laughs) You know, like, but then I'll find somewhere to play it later down the line or someone will ask me for it. Even two days ago, someone hit me up, um, shouts to Patsky from uh, Oslo, Norway. And he's like, yo, did you ever put that edit out? Something I did like five years ago. And I was like, oh, I didn't think anybody even wanted that or would play it. I played it on a mix once, you know, Absolutely. I sent it to him. He's like, no, I love it. You know, so it's... um. It, you you never know, like you said, where it's going to land, where it's going to fit. And same with me. I have routines that I do from, yeah, 15 years ago that still will work in um, certain environments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm sure. And also a lot of the music that you were playing, um, that you play, and I think you were playing, is classic and timeless um, in a way. So... Of course, it's going to work, you know. I mean, when they when when I kind of got in the mix with the tour and really kind of saw what it was all about and just the vibe of the whole thing. I mean, it was the people were incredible. The crew and the staff were just super top notch. Everybody was great. Um, they they took great care of me. I mean, this was my first large scale tour, yeah. and they really like got me through that so that I like was you know prepared and where I needed to be and and all these things, um, and. But I really, I, I mean, I realized that like the show that she was presenting was such like in line of like classic rock shows. Yeah. I mean, it's in the line of these like large scale kind of classic rock concerts that you would see, you know, a U2 or a Metallica or, uh, you know, all your, your, your 70s classic rock acts, all those things. The tone was not like, uh, say, like a pop show, like you would go see like uh, a Justin Timberlake thing or, or something like that, which is what much more pop. This was like a rock show. Right. And it was a lot of theater and stuff as well. So I really looked at it like I am going to play serious, classic, timeless music and I'm going to just try to like reinterpret it and find what's the most interesting and creative way to kind of like update it and put it together in a way that's like interesting for a new for for an audience you know in in a new way but like um i kind of avoided the the low-hanging fruit of like the the easy poppy stuff by and large i was i was more focused on like what are the real timeless music artists and how can i put all that together and honestly i felt really good about the set you know from having doing i feel like it has like lasting value 
partially I, because it of that. does completely. I mean, I've listened to it on your mix cloud. Um, for everyone out there that wants to peep it, go to Kid Cutup's mix cloud, and he's got. Um, I think it's you, you. Sort of did a set that represents the set that you did, or what was it? Yeah. So, so I mean, it, it right now up there is the 2018 uh, version, and I just looked over all my sets from 2018, all the different countries we went to. Um, because I was incorporating kind of music from all these places. And so in 2018, we went across the U.S. and then we went to New Zealand and Australia. And it was very fun and really cool to like find what the like Australian version of Journey is. Like, yeah. What is their song that just like sets it off every time automatically? But the ones that like Americans wouldn't know, the ones right. that were never hits was, over is here. Is there an Australian? Uh... Don't stop believing. <laughs> I mean, yeah, actually, like there, there definitely were, um, and they're on the mix as well. And so it's like for people who are maybe they grew up in America or even in Europe, and they're, they're checking the mix out, they'll be like, "Oh, I don't know this song," but that song is the biggest song somewhere in the world. Right. Somewhere in the world, that is the song that just tears it down. Um, there were two over in Australia. Uh, one is called uh, "Horses," and the other one is called uh, "You're the Voice." And they're just kind of normal sounding songs, but it's the songs that everybody grew up over there with. So right. it is just like the anthem. And the crazy thing is, Journey specifically was not big in Australia. So here I am playing for an arena, you know, 12,000, <laughs> 15,000 people. Yeah. And you play something like Journey and it's just crickets. Just absolute like no response. And I'm like, How awkward what? is that? Why? <laughs> Yeah, well, I was just like, wait, why didn't this work? And I, after doing it like once or twice, uh, actually twice, uh, I pulled uh, uh, her, her guitar tech aside, who was like an Aussie guy. And I was like, yo, what's the deal? Like, is this not a thing here? And he goes, oh, yeah, they toured here once in the 70s. And the tour didn't do well, so they never came back. So they just don't have any hits over here. And it's just like, how would you know? You know what I mean? Like, we kind of <laughs> just take it for granted. Um, but, yeah. Right. You know, so... So I learned that that's, lesson in front of an awful lot of people, but that's that's how it goes. You take chances and you, you know, you move through it. Right, and that's something I wanted to explore more down the line was how you put your sets together. We can talk about that in a little bit, but I have, you know, and and uniquely I have similar experiences as you as I went on tour with Blink-182 and was the opening DJ and same thing. I would think these crowds are going to love to hear old school punk music or dubstep or hip hop or, you know, all these things that was not the case, you know, and I, I learned my lesson by seeing a bunch of very serious people in front of me, not into the music I was playing. And I'm like, all right, I'm gonna have to adjust as I go. And I was be back in the bus that night, like, okay, okay, I got to redo it. And it sort of molded my set as I went, but I... I didn't regret doing that. I'm happy that I took the chance. You just no, have to be able that, to I mean, let it that, bounce off you. That's the that's the process. Yes. Like that's the process. That editing process is everything. The like yep. the after gig recap where you go back and you're like, "Okay, what worked? What didn't work? What would have worked if it would have been slightly different?" Like, you know, a lot of a lot of setting those things up especially for a stage show because it's a very different vibe than yeah. a concert I mean, then, uh, then like a nightclub and the pacing is so different. Um, 
and the, the the way you plan for it is so different. You know, I the the closest thing that I can uh, kind of compare it to is actually like uh, uh, telling jokes as a comedian, and how like you're kind of doing setups and punchlines to where yeah. it's like you you want it's just it's all in the timing. So a lot of it comes down to the editing process later because the the routine might be the right routine, the songs might be the right songs, but you got to get the like the punchlines timed right to really have the impact you want. That's so true. And I, I always relate comedians and DJs together, but I think that's an important um, you know, thing that you noticed about it is, is the timing is really something that we have in common as well. And I even noticed on your mix that you did, it is very timeless music. I mean, you're using Be Faithful, Joan Jett, I Love Rock and Roll, you know, Fat Bottom Girl, Queen, things like that. But the way that you edited it and the way that you structured your set was interesting because you had like these buildups in a way, like like you sort of, you know, did the whatever someone would say like a girl talk style in, of the mashup thing, but it wasn't like that. I mean, it was your own specific thing. But the yeah. way that you would use a song, re-edit it, build it up. And I feel like in an EDM or even a cheesy club setting, you would then have like a drop right there, but you would drop into another vocal of a song that someone knew. And I think that was the timing and the sort of staircase that you're building with the crowd, you know, cause you'd be like, Oh, bass drop. And then it would go, Oh, fat bottom girls. And then into another thing. And yeah, you, yeah, you, yeah. you weren't relying on that sort of cheesy drop of like the roller coaster you were still utilizing the music and the lyrics and the vocals the right way so i think that's an important thing for djs and music people to pay attention to i mean this is this is part of why i think edm was such a a style of music that like beginner djs gravitated towards because it yeah. did, it had all that built in like yes. all the moments of it were built in because it would like break down and then it would like come back up and it would happen all automatically. Yes. And the thing is when you're not when you're playing the original versions of records and you're just really focusing on edits, you're still trying to do that sort of thing, but you're trying to do it in a way that like retains the integrity of the original song. I mean, one of the things that I really held as far as my uh you know, putting this set together was like I can't alienate the original fan of this song. They right. have to like it too, and I want more people to like it. I don't want to divide a crowd. Yeah, I want to figure out like how can I bring in this and this. And I honestly feel like that's one of the differences between something that I would do as opposed in kind of contrast to like mashup stuff or like a yeah. girl talk thing where it's like they're trying to kind of reinterpret things for this new audience. And I'm trying to get a bunch of people to hang out together where everyone can like be attracted to that song by like – both through the selection, but then also just how it's being edited and put together. And I think just aesthetically approaching it in a different way means you do it in a different way. I mean, my, my pacing is totally different than what someone like Girl Talk would do, you know, as a reference point. Completely. Um, and, it, and it's totally different than, like, if you were to do, like, EDM remixes of all of these. Yeah. And honestly, if I had done that, if I had gone the just, like, EDM kind of really aggressive redrum route... That would not have been successful at these shows. Yeah. There, there were a lot of older, you know, middle-aged and older people in these audiences that weren't 21 that would not have responded well. Yeah. You know, that just wouldn't have vibed with them. 
Right. No, that's what I noticed in the Blink-182 shows as well. Like, I thought, oh, I'm going to play this remix or bootleg I got. And I would notice if that would get a horrible reaction. It was what you were saying. In a way, I'm alienating the crowd. And this is a mainstream crowd. They want to... You want to bring them together, like you said. And I think at an EDM show or whatever you want to call it, dance music, like it's a lot of younger people. They do want to alienate everyone. They want to be like, I'm listening to the weirdest song ever. My parents would never listen to this. Get out of here. We're at our crazy rave, like doing what we do. But in this situation, it's different. You know, you want to remix it, be a DJ, bring something different to the table, bring your personality and all of that. But at the same time, connect as this arena of people which is so hard you know it's hard enough to get a i mean this is small bar this full of people this isn't my show you know what i mean like i'm yeah I'm, that's the other thing i'm on someone else's show and i'm there to essentially what i really saw my role is doing is to create this collective moment to yeah. be like wherever you came from tonight we're all in this room together about to witness this show together yeah. to, for me to kind of cultivate that collectivism beforehand and figure, and figure out like what's going to bring everyone together. So then, then we all watch this show together. Right. And it was, it ended up being a really successful approach uh, to do that that way. And it, it really seemed to work both for my set and my show. Like I was getting a great response, but then also it, it, it helped, I think, the overall entertainment of the entire night uh, yep. between all the different opening bands and, you know, obviously Pink is the headliner and stuff. It just it set all of it up in such a good way. And yeah, I mean, it was it was a really cool kind of role to play on on a show that big. Yeah, I think you approached it in such a smart way with the collective mindset sort of putting your ego in your back pocket not like yo everyone should be looking at me when i do this really cool thing obviously you had scratch breaks you had all these really impressive things but it was you you looked at it from that collective mind state and you could hear that in the mix just from listening to it on mixcloud and then imagining what was happening i sort of got a good vision of where your head was at and what the crowd would have responded, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, that, and that's everything's a, that, different. That, yeah, that's a, that's in, that's encouraging to hear because uh, trying to translate that sort of live thing into a mix was really tricky. And in fact, I did a version or two where I was actually doing all the mic work from the concert over the mix as well. Right. And it just wasn't working. Like it just didn't like come together. And and you know, I have so many many of the shows recorded. I was actually gonna. I I, I experimented with trying to dub the crowd back over as well because you know yeah. these were like sing along songs. So it was like, and I really just wanted to capture that vibe and that energy. And so I'm glad that it, that it's coming across. Yeah. Um, no, I could picture but, it. And, Same, and, yeah, similar and, thing. I would record all the shows, you know, and yeah. try to figure out a way to to portray it because nobody can understand that that dynamic yeah at, at some point i'm gonna do a 2019 version of that as well uh because my set really changed even though a lot of the music was the same my set changed and so i actually am excited to like put that together so that people can contrast between the two years and yeah. really see like okay this is these are the sort of choices DJs make. These are the things that define one DJ from the other is, is our choices. We're all right. playing the same Drake records or we're all playing the same Bon Jovi records, depending on what our audience is. Yep. But how you're playing it makes the DJs different from each other. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm hoping to get that done. And then uh, I do. I am also hopefully going to do like an actual live, like a live, live thing. 
from maybe one of the bigger ones, maybe like Madison Square Garden or uh, uh, one of the, or, or Wembley over in London that we did. Um, yeah, you know, kind of just kind of capsulate the, one of those like crazy shows. Yeah, you have to. That's like a ma- legendary historical thing I in tell your you life. What, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know if you saw on my uh, my Instagram the uh, the Freddie Mercury uh call and response thing uh I that i did uh, on instagram being able to do that at wembley um where that live aid like happened um was just such like a a, a spine tingling sort of goosebump moment say, you know what i mean like gives it, me chills to even think about it you know i felt I, I i literally i felt very like honored to be able to just almost like be like a steward of that moment like yep. you know what i mean to just yes. like to be able to like present that and and it was it was definitely that that was definitely a moment for me for sure. That's huge. That's so amazing. And, and as far as your um, putting your sets together and changing them as they go, like I guess let's start with the beginning. You you got asked to do it. How did you put your set together? I know we discussed it a bit, but um, did you think in those terms of the collective and all the thing, or were you like, all right? I did these mixes and this, and I'm going to try this and then just go from there. So I think part of why um, it kind of worked for me right off the bat was, you know, being from, you know, a a mid-level market like Milwaukee, like we're not LA, we're not Chicago, we're not New York, but we are Portland. We are uh, the Twin Cities. We are St. Louis. We are all these sort of cities. Yeah. And you know, you can do weird nichey things, right? Maybe it's of the of the couple 10,000 people that are going out in your city every night. You only really need to get like 100 or 200 of them in your room to make it worth the while to, yeah. for your DJ night or whatever you're presenting. And so, you know, when, when I was building nights and stuff back home in Milwaukee, you kind of realize you're like, oh, I actually need to get more than one group of people in this room in order to have enough people here to make this worth the while. The bar's got to make their money. I got to make my door money, like whatever it is, you know, and you want to party with more than, you know, seven people. So in order to get those same two or 300 people, you have to maybe appeal a little more broadly. Um, And it's just a numbers game. It's just what you do, uh, you know, is appealing to this percentage of people going out. How many people do you need to, how many of those people do you need to get into your venue, you know? And so I always kind of feel like that sort of collectivism thing was maybe built into my DJing, even before I kind of knew it and realized it. It was kind of built in the idea of bringing people together and not alienating people. And... So when I set up my set for that, you know, they had they had asked me to play like classic hip hop and classic rock. And I was like, cool, I can do this. Essentially was just not playing new music and just just took the new music out that I would have played. Right. And so um, a bunch of the stuff that I did, like I said, like I have a mix up on my mix clouds called Supermix, which was a mix I had done 10, 12 years ago at this point. And some of the material came from that. Um, some of the material was from say my three style sets that I did like right when I moved to LA around like 2011, 2012 ish. Um, some of the stuff from my three style sets ended up in there. And so it was just like, I was kind of just picking between these things and then kind of filling in between with, you know, the appropriate music and what I felt like was gonna, you know, get people moving. And then as far as structuring the set, I've done enough stage sets, 
um, whether it's other Summerfest gigs or there's this uh, amazing hip hop festival in Minneapolis called Soundset that I've done. Oh, yeah. Um, just opening up for like stage artists and just kind of taking that experience and putting it in to know like, okay, you got to engage people on the mic. You can't run these crazy 32 bar blends all the time. It's just not going to be dynamic and exciting. Um, you know, people will look at someone like, uh, like a kid Capri and be like, oh, he's not really blending. He's not like DJing the style that I do. And they'll, they'll be really dismissive about it. And it's just like. And I feel like this applies to a lot of things. Like, don't look at the thing that's not working for you. What is working? And, like, you check out one of his shows, and it's just this immense energy, and it's just boom, 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 boom. Even even if sometimes it feels like it's too fast, at least it's never too slow. Right. You know? And, And so it's, like, kind of learning those sort of lessons you know what i mean to just like keep the pacing fast and and so you know you build a set and you put it out there and uh you know hopefully it goes well you know like hopefully it's the right fit for the crowd and you don't have to do i mean you can always detour from the set which of course you should do if it's like not going well but yeah well that's the more experience you have the less detouring you do did you ever did you do that a lot like did you read the crowd or did you just kind of go, I'm going to do what I planned and adjust it next time? So for the for the pink sets, because the pacing was pretty fast, there wasn't much reading the crowd. My reading the crowd happened later when I would watch my when I would watch the video after yes. the show. That's when I was reading the crowd to do better for the next set. Um, the, the, there were a couple moments where as like a last minute thing, uh, they were like, OK, you have to run longer or. Uh, Obviously, sometimes it got cut short, which was much easier than the running longer because you realize it's easy to kind of improvise and run long in a place where you grew up with the same music as everybody else. But the second you have to do that in a foreign country, you realize you don't know what these people know or don't know. And you're still trying to keep the energy. You're still trying to keep the pacing. You're still trying to like you're not trying to just become the background music all of a sudden. Right. You're still trying to like continue that vibe of the show. But now you're trying to wing it. And uh, that happened to me one time kind of badly, kind of towards the beginning of Australia. And it was fine. The show was fine. I certainly didn't bomb or anything, but I didn't feel good about it. And I went back to my dressing room and I actually made a set of all like the the B songs, you know, that didn't go into the A set. They were all the B songs. And I kind of just structured them and I built like a full 45 minute second set. And I was like, okay. I'm never going to get caught out there again. Um, and I didn't even go back to the bus. I didn't leave the venue. I like made myself sit in that moment where I didn't feel very good about it yeah. as my motivation to like fix it, you know? Yeah. No, that makes sense. Yeah, a lot of times with such a massive crowd, I mean, your brain can only handle so much. So sometimes I would notice I'm only staring at these people in the front row that are not having a good time. Because they're the front row people, you know, and like they've been there since yeah. the beginning and they just wanted to see Blink-182. And I'm like, yeah, but then everyone else was having an amazing time and singing along. But you're focused yeah, on like yeah, the yeah. one girl that's texting in the front out of like 15,000 people. You know, it's like some crazy uh, human being defect where like we can the negative thing will overpower us more than the positive. I mean, I'm actually glad that... Uh, that before we started doing stadiums, while we were still doing the arenas, when before we started doing the stadiums, uh, you know, I did a lot of arenas with the tour, and uh, I was glad to get some like negative feedback 
uh, during that time. Yeah. Because, yeah, what you're saying is totally true. Like, I'll get, like, one nasty comment on Facebook or Twitter or whatever. And a lot of times it's someone who, like, doesn't understand DJing. Of course. Doesn't understand. Like, I got, like, a comment once in a while of, like, why aren't you playing the whole song? And it's like, okay, clearly this person's experience is, like, a wedding DJ. That's the only DJing yeah. they know. So that's what they're speaking from. And, you know, that's not, like, applicable feedback, really. <laughs> right. Um but I'm glad that I got that 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 negative feedback early on because I had to kind of fix myself uh, and my perspective so that I wasn't focusing on it. Being like, "Look, ten thousand people had a good time, yeah, right. One person didn't. It's okay. You know what I mean? Like, I yeah. should not worry about this one person at all. They just didn't like me, and you know what? That's okay. Not everyone's gonna like me. Life will go on." Yes, but you have to sort of, it's hard. You have to keep reminding yourself of that and like wiping the slate clean almost, you know, with the internet and in real life, because otherwise your brain will get the best of you, you know, and really you should be in the mind state that you were saying. Shout out, shout out to the guy who uh, really strongly disliked me in Germany. And as I was walking back towards a front of house, because I had put a camera up by front of house. So I was walking back towards front of house, grab the camera. He starts like talking to me and I couldn't tell in his tone. I speak like a really small amount of German, but I couldn't tell in his tone that he didn't like me at all. And so I kind of was like, Hey, what's up, man? Da, 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 da. <laughs> then I realized that he was not, he had nothing positive to say about uh, me or my set. And uh, it was funny because I was definitely trying to be friendly with someone who was not trying to be friendly with me. <laughs> this and, was making uh, him more mad. <laughs> I, yeah, pretty much. And I only realized this after uh, he like slandered me online um, wow. and was like so like aggressive about it. And it was just like one of those things where it was like, man, you expended all this energy and like, okay, yeah. dude, whatever. But but yeah, it was pretty funny because I didn't, uh, I was just trying to kind of be like, okay, cool. I don't know, really know what you're like saying to me, but thanks, you know, whatever. Like, right, you know, just right. trying to have like a normal interaction and, yeah. you know. High fives, hugs, and handshakes, whatever. And yeah, he was he was not with it. So yeah, That's so can't win them all. No, of course. I had people everywhere I'd go. There was at least one or more people that had a problem. You know, like, thanks for ruining every song or cutting it off or, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Telling me to put my hands up too much. I'm like, yo, I don't know. I'm trying, I need a lot of hands up here, okay? <laughs> you know what? In that case, put your hands down. Go to the back of the room. Yeah. We're going to have a good time without you. Yeah. I mean, it's tough. And like you said, you're opening for a band. Like, I mean, I've also opened for tons of people and even opened for other DJs where people just want to see yeah. that DJ, that artist, that artist in the club. They don't have the patience for you, you know, so whether no matter I'm, who you I, are. And I'm, and, I'm, and I'm honestly, I'm not mad at them. I'm actually excited. Anytime I see somebody who's like a fan, like that hardcore of a fan where they're like, I'm not going to cheer for anybody except the person I came here to see. Like part right. of me is just like, I'm happy that there's still fans like that, that True. are still so excited about whatever they're excited. They don't have to be excited about me. Just be excited about something. Yeah. You know, I, know. I actually have a, true. I have a promo video that I put up, uh, years and years ago and there's these like of course there's like the three kids in the front row who just were not into it and there's a there's a shot in this video of like the whole room and it's like a small club or whatever but the whole room putting their hands up and you see like one or two of the kids actually turning around and looking at the response that everybody else is getting and they're the only ones not participating <laughs> and it kind of validated it for me to just be like look you guys don't have to have fun but 
Everybody else is, so you know, right? I don't know. What That's to tell just you. a pure representation of DJing. Like anywhere you go in the nightclub, yeah, anywhere. Yeah, yeah. There's that one guy like you suck, you know, and then everyone else is having the time of their life, and you're like, okay, who am I going to listen to here? I mean, you know, I'm happy that I'm somebody's favorite DJ. I don't have to be everybody's favorite DJ. Yes. That's and I think that that really it. informs a lot of the work that I do when people are just like, this is so weird. How, why would you do this? Da, 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 da. And I'm like, I know that somebody would like that. Even if most people wouldn't like that, I'm aware that somebody would like that. And I'm going to be their favorite DJ. Yeah. That's a good way. Good way to do it. And so, um, so uh, like after the fact, um, oh, wait, how long was the set? An hour? So the set, uh, it went, it changed. Um, it was initially 50 minutes because for a while, uh, at the start I was kind of the only opening act. And then there was like, uh, about 12 shows with this other band on the East coast. And so then I did my set, then the band went and then, uh, you know, pink went on. Um, and we did that for a little bit and then we came back to just me after those couple shows. Uh, and then when we went to Australia, there was an opening band, uh, called the Rubens, and uh, so I would play before and after them. So oh, cool. it shifted a little bit. Mostly my sets were between the opening part would be between like 30 and 50 minutes, somewhere in there. And then if when there were opening bands, because when we did the stadium tour in Europe, there was even uh, there were two opening bands. It was uh, uh, Bang Bang Romeo and uh, Vance Joy. And so I played in between them you know and so then it would be like i would do like 20 and then a 15 and a 15 so you're really trying to like figure out what can i present in 15 minutes that feels impactful that has like the same arc that you would do over a longer set you still want that arc but now it's all compressed yeah so you know it's like this kind of whole thing but you know when i would go on uh before right before her um you know a lot of times it was like between 15 and 25 minutes of just Let's go. Let's really just get everybody together and, you know, all in the same yeah. place, singing along, partying. It really wasn't like a dance thing because, you know, these are uh, people sitting in seats and stuff I mostly. Know. But yeah, it's tough like having them just sitting there. Some of those amphitheaters we would do just be all sitting and people are like, hey, get me the popcorn, you know, and you're like, yo, put your hands yeah. up, you know, and it's yeah. like such an awkward kind of. Uh, thing i mean um so obviously like we discussed uh, you know briefly is the difference of djing in a stadium or an arena or just opening for someone with everyone staring at you versus djing in a bar and a nightclub is is so different um what's your take on that yeah i mean it's you know people are there to see a show like yeah. they say we're going to the show we're going to go watch the show so you better have a show like, you better communicate to people. Yeah. You better, uh, you know, present something. Uh, if you are if you think you're going to go up there and just, uh, you know, play two verses of a song, uh, you're, whether you like it or not, you're going to become background. And yeah. then you have this weird push and pull because people are like, oh, like, we want to see a show. We don't want to see something in the background. Um, right. So yeah, there's there's that kind of different dynamic and and honestly, I I look at it as like that's the opportunity to put a show on. 
that's the opportunity to like really present something cohesive that you kind of put together that you're not just winging. Um, and so I really liked the, both the challenge and the opportunity of it and was able to present. And, and, and I think that comes across in that, 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 uh, the, the tour mix that I have up on Mixcloud as far as like kind of the difference. I mean, there are other mixes on there that are just more kind of club, sort of vibe and to me it's very easy to tell just the level the density of creativity to me needs to be higher when uh when you're doing a show yeah that makes sense and um one um nerdy kind of question but on your i saw that i don't know if it was for the whole tour but you were using the rain 12s Mm -hmm. um yeah but you had like grip tape or something weird on it like what what was on there i would see in the pictures yeah, yeah. Okay, so the Rain 12s are something that I started using when I was over in Europe. Uh, big shout out to Rain for really uh, taking care of me uh, on that. They because uh, it was it was a hundred percent the right tool for the job. Yeah. Um, and so uh, I realized that the you know how like uh, the, they they have like vinyl on it as the control surface. Yeah. Even though there's not a needle, it's like a vinyl thing. And I was just like, you know how DJs would like lick their fingers and stuff to get grip on vinyl. And I'm just like, well, now we don't have to uh, worry about what's on the record itself. And so what I did is I went to one of the the techs, uh, the the backline guys, and I was like, all right, let me see your stash of gaff tape. And he opens the drawer and like, I mean, backline guys are incredible. Uh, incredible. The, the way that they approach what they do. And I'm just, it was such a kindred spirit sort of experience. Um, and I literally was just like touching all the different gaff tapes that he had to try to figure out like, okay, what's the best kind of feel that's like grippy, but not like rough, but you know, and then honestly, I just took, I took one of them, taped it up in in those strips in five seconds, probably spent 50 cents in gaff tape cost. And it was rock solid. The best grip. We were outside. Sometimes it would be kind of dusty. Sometimes the humidity was high. Sometimes it was low. None of it mattered. It was always just really good grip right away. And so, yeah, so I actually ended up sending that picture back to a bunch of the rain guys and was like, yo, I want to do the official branded uh, grip tape. You know how you like grip tape a skateboard? Yeah, yeah, that's what I was picturing. I want to be able to get like a, like instead of selling slip mats, I want to get like the grip tape in the circle with just a little hole and you just put it on so it would cover the whole thing. Yeah, it's true. Even phase, I mean, it's like you could use that for phase now, just have your specific phase records that are on there. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's a yeah, great I love, idea. I love the concept of phase. And I was a little unsure uh, about the reliability stuff that was, you know, still occurring and stuff last year. And I'm not even sure where that's at now. But from a technology standpoint, like a forward thinking creativity standpoint, I love phase. Like, it just feels like the future. Yeah, um, it really does. And like you yeah. said, on these tours, I mean, I was on this tour four years ago. I bought all these insane feet for my turntables. I had all these extra needles and I would have so much trouble whether we were in the hottest place in the world or the coldest place or raining or wind. It was so hard to keep my needle and the thing and out of the red and I'm constantly cleaning it, you know, so 
having something like the rain 12 or phase on a tour like that i think is crucial yeah i was i was also really a little worried when we started doing the stadiums uh the arenas were yeah. were fine but stadiums everything scales up so you go from yeah. like you know 15 to 20,000 people up to all of a sudden now it's like 60 sometimes 70,000 people and wow. so uh you know, you gotta you gotta bring more sound in, so that's more stage shaking with all the extra bass. And I was like, yeah. really kind of concerned about it. And I realized how good the audio guys were on the tour because honestly, the stage was just consistent. Whatever city we were in, it was so consistent, and there wasn't like this huge overloading of like bass rumble on the stage. And it was like it actually made using uh, even normal turntables like fairly easy and. Uh, but but I was not anticipating that. I was anticipating yeah. a lot more problems for sure. No, I was surprised that mine weren't as affected by the bass rather than just all the other crazy elements yeah. that mess it up. Like nightclubs are significantly worse because it's Way such worse. a mixed bag. It's such a mixed bag as far as like where they're setting everything up. And a lot of times it's like, oh, my guy came in and did the sound here yeah. or whatever. And it's just, yeah, it's way worse. Um, I know you also uh, went on tour with another artist who has one name. That's four letters. Um, Cher, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, was that different? Um, what, were those crowds different or your sets different? Or did you have the similar approach? So I, I definitely had a similar approach. I knew mm. the audience would be different. If, yeah. if Pink's audience ranged from, say... 25 to 45 and we're talking like the bulk of it yeah. being around that that range um Cher's audience was between say 35 and like 55 or 60 like it was a significantly older audience yeah and so all the classic hip-hop went out of the set and all the uh kind of classic disco went into the set um and I realized that even just as a generational thing, I was now playing for an audience that was old enough that they maybe potentially have never seen a DJ at a nightclub. Yeah. And true. I know that that's a crazy thing to think about, but yeah, they may have never gone to nightclubs to see DJing. They maybe would have gone to see bands or maybe that wasn't a thing for all at all for them. And so the, the DJing itself kind of slowed down a little bit but again, it's still a stage show. I'm still presenting something. Um, and so, yeah, I just kind of had to pick different, you know, records. And then, you know, the things that were kind of moments in my Pink show, the the kind of the intro moment and the big moment in the middle and then the big ending moment to kind of wrap the show up. Um, yeah. Be because I never, because, you know, again, as a show set, you want a beginning, middle and an end. I never wanted to be the fade down guy, right? right. Like the fade down and fizzle out guy. It's like, no, my show had an end every single time where it's like it comes to an end it's like when you're giving the presentation in science class you know you finish your presentation and people know that it's supposed to feel like the ending yes you know and so it's like so i wanted my show to feel like that and and so you know i had to kind of swap the show ending and, and that involved me coming up with like a new routine to end with because you know, I had to like generate that new. So, so yeah, the set definitely changed, but the way I approached it was fairly similar and pretty much the same. Right. 
And what about, um, and I want to move on, talk about some other things as well, but um, just a little more tour stuff. You were on tour for so long and in so many places. I mean, do you have any um, stories that stick out in your mind of just a crazy thing that happened or a run-in with certain music people or celebrities or just any kind of story that stands out as like, this is nuts. This is a crazy tour story. I mean, so what I didn't realize when I was kind of getting up and up and running onto this, at first, I actually don't think I, I really knew how big of a thing that this was going to be because how could I have known? If I've right. never done something like that, like the real scope, it took me a couple of shows to like really be like, whoa, this is wild. Um, and so we get over to Australia and it's my first time in Australia. And I guess I, I didn't realize this, but like Pink is like one of the biggest touring artists in Australia, period, like ever of all time. Wow. And I, 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 I didn't know. You know, and so we do nine nights in Sydney. We do 11 nights in Melbourne. They're all sold out. Like, it's the same show, and they're all sold out. And so it just the level of fandom over there was so crazy. Um, and it was kind of my first run-in with, like, paparazzi to yeah. where, like, people were, like, hitting me up, trying to figure out what hotel I was staying at, thinking that I was staying at, like, the same hotel she was, which sometimes wasn't the case, often wasn't the case. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, just, like, stuff like that, where it's just, like, you really get the sense of, like, whoa. It's almost like, it's, like, the little taste that someone like me would get of, like, Beatlemania, to just be, like, around that atmosphere in that world, right? right? Um so that was kind of crazy, and then uh, there was one show here. There was there was one show where uh, where somebody threw something at me during the show. What? And like, and I like I generally got like a good response, right? Like this was crazy, you know, a bad email or something on Twitter or Instagram, whatever. But like yeah. somebody threw something, and it didn't hit me, but it came really close, and I was like. Yo, like I didn't see. I kind of saw where it kind of co- came from, but I didn't see kind of who did it. And I was like, "Yeah, you know, security on a on a tour of that size is serious business. Like, if somebody's oh. got to go, I'd actually rather that they go right away. You know, forget me. I'm gonna be. I'll be fine. The show goes on without me. If that same crazy person does something to your headliner, then what happens? Right. You know what I'm saying? So I'm just like, yo, like. So I, I wrap my setup. The show goes well. It was super fun. Um, and I go back and I pull my video footage and I'm looking kind of through my video footage because I'm like, I got cameras. Like, I'm going to find yeah. out. And so here's the thing. So I see the thing come flying by me and I'm like, all right, cool. Back it up. Back it up. I, I found it. Right. And then I see the girl who threw it. And I'm like, all right, what was this girl's deal? And so I back it up a little further. And the thing was is, this girl was like rocking out so hard that she's like freaking out. She's having the best time. And then I switched to the new song and I get on the mic and people are, ah, you know, whatever. And she gets so excited that she throws this, this like napkin or something up at me. And it wasn't out of like anything bad at all. It was because she was excited. (laughs) Yeah. And it was just like, I took it in like such the wrong way, but, um, (laughs) In the moment, it was just like, oh, I don't know what's going on. Why did somebody throw something at me? But yeah, she was just that hype. And so I was like, oh, okay, that's cool. 
like whatever. So, so yeah, did, man, it's like did she get kicked these, out? No, 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 not at okay, all, good. not at all. So it's probably for uh, the know, best. For, it would have sucked if you were like, you're out of here. And she's no, like, no, as a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, if like security would have seen her and like kicked her out, like in the moment, I would have been like, oh yeah, she's the person who threw the thing, right? But if I had gone back and looked at my video footage, I probably would have actually gone outside and tried to find her to like have her come back in because right. that would suck. Like you're having the best time of your life, and I sure, know. like you know what I mean, like. I would have worked it out. We definitely yeah. would have had to work that out to be like, yo, let's sure. Maybe she can't be throwing stuff by the stage or whatever. All right, let's get her back in the venue, like further back from the stage. So you can see the, so whatever, you know, yeah. like I would have tried to work it out. Right. You got You got to like, dude. you got to You got to, you got to, uh, protect the, the fans that are passionate because yeah. there's just so many people that aren't. I know. So it's like you got to value and treasure the ones that really come. Exactly, to like they're really the one making it, it the all, right way. Yeah, like, they make this an industry that we can actually live off of, and you know all that. I mean, yeah, and they also they also enculturate. They they help socialize. Yeah. the the rest of the audience that like isn't into it in that way. Like those are yes. the people that help make fans. Yeah. Instead of just fans of like the scene or fans of the party, they help make fans of like the music and like you know. So, yeah, man, right. you always gotta you always gotta see what you can do. You know, if I would have been wrong on that one, I definitely would have tried to make that one up. Yeah, and I know that, like on tour, like you said, you you, you know, I became such good friends with the stagehands, with the sh- the chefs, with everybody that was on it. It's like a it's like summer camp. You know, you become like family with these people. Um, and especially living in a bus. I mean, were you guys on buses or were you just flying from place to place? No, we were uh, when we were in the U.S. We were on buses. Uh, Europe, we're buses. Australia, because we were in one place for so long and the cities are so far apart. Then we did charter flights. Um, but even on charter flights, you're still flying. Like I traveled with the crew and yeah. uh, the backline guys, and you know wardrobe and and all that. And and again, like just such a cr- amazing crew of just seasoned vets. Yeah, of just people who had been in the industry forever and. They were, it was like such a good family vibe and they really took care of me. I mean, they, they definitely like looked out for me. They made sure I was all good. Uh, They just kind of, you know, taught me all the things I needed to learn. And there was a lot to learn. In fact, I was really glad that, you know, they say like, you know, you got to be ready when opportunity comes. And this was definitely one of those situations because when I got on tour, the the set the DJing part was sometimes the easier part and I already knew how to do that as far as yeah. getting the set together and everything the thing right. I needed to learn was just like how do I structure my time between the buses and the venues and the hotels how do I make sure that I'm eating at the right times how do I make sure that you know all my back end business stuff is getting handled and just all these things are things you have to figure out and so you know, those guys were great and they really helped me. And, you know, the first bus I was on was all backline and wardrobe people and they were, they were great. And then I was on uh, the audio bus, uh, for a very limited amount of time. I was the easiest guy to move around cause it was just me. So as right. you know, lineups changed in the buses, I got moved around, but honestly it was like, cool. I get to hang out with more people. You know, yeah. when I was in Europe, I was with the catering people, uh, and, uh, they, they were great. They were really cool. 
Definitely a different vibe too. Like all the like the different yeah. teams, they have like a very different vibe, and it was it was cool to like, I don't know, just meet everybody, hang out with everybody. There are definitely some people that I will stay in contact with, uh, you know, probably for the rest of my life. To be honest, yeah, like, definitely. Just, it was yeah, such you a good be- family. You become vibe. such good friends. Yeah, same same here. That's so cool. So um, now being off tour and being back home. Um, Obviously, we're all locked in, trying to figure out what to spend our time on and stuff. And I know that you have a new weekly live stream called The Hatch um, on Thursday nights at 8 o'clock Pacific. Um, and what platforms are you streaming that on? So, so yeah, for me, uh, coming off of tour, you know, I was on and off tour for like two years. So coming right. off of that situation, I was already in this situation of like well, what do I do now? Like my situations change. I certainly, can I, can I top what I just did? Maybe not, but okay, cool. So I'm not going to top it, but then what am I, what am I going to do? Um, am I going to get more tour opportunities? I don't know. Is there going to be a global pandemic that's going to stop touring altogether? Who knows? Turns out. Yeah. I mean, everyone predicted that, but (laughs) right. Like, so, um, so yeah, so I was already in this situation where, even a couple months before the pandemic, I was already just trying to like figure out like, what do I do with my time now? Like, how do I, uh, you know, what am I working towards? What are my new goals? Yeah. And, you know, these sort of things. And, you know, I, I, I work over at uh, DJ City mm-hmm. and I do edits and stuff for them. And so I, I continued to do that the whole time I was on the road, uh, continued to uh, feed them content. Um, and I c- continue to do that now, uh, which is great that I can continue to do that from home during these yeah. uh, lockdown times. Um, and so, yeah, so I was already trying to like figure it out. Right. And when all the lockdown thing happened, now everyone's in that situation of like, well, what are we going to do with our time? What are we going to do? How is this going to change the industry on the back end and and all these things? So the hatch, the show that I came up with, um, is kind of, uh, plays into my, not just my plans during quarantine, but my long-term plans as well, as far as like, some of the goals that I have set going forward. So right now it's streaming on IG live and on, uh, Facebook. Um, I will be at some point moving it to Twitch most likely. And then, uh, running that off of my website, like embedding that so that it's easy to find so that people can tap into it because, you know, every, every site at this point has their ups and downs, their, their issues, um, none of them are really perfect at this point, but you know, if this becomes a thing, especially after quarantine, not just as this emergency thing, but if it becomes yeah. a thing, um, you know, I think our options should be getting better. And, uh, so, you know, I'm just, I'm literally figuring it out like everybody else in real time. Every week, my show is upgraded one way or the other. Uh, maybe some new like camera gear or new lighting stuff or whatever it might be. Um, to just kind of, uh, you know, constantly upgrade. It's a lot of learning for all of us as far as learning like OBS or all the different things. And, and honestly, I've actually enjoyed like learning some new things. I've enjoyed putting a new show together that at this point maybe is less worried about being commercially viable in the immediate term. Like it's really an opportunity for me to create something out of nothing again, which I don't know if I've really had the opportunity to do since I've been in LA. 
Um, When I was in Milwaukee, I definitely had opportunities to do that. That's one of the advantages of kind of the smaller scale is that it gives you kind of more ability to work on that scale and be in control of the kind of aesthetic of the whole thing. So, So yeah, the hatch is definitely not throwback hits, which I know is a very popular streaming thing. Um, yeah. And it's great. And honestly, it's it's like comfort food for people. It's comfort food for DJs. You know, I support yeah. anybody who's uh, doing anything that's good for them, good for their audience, you know, just putting anything positivity. I think that's dope. I really do. Um, in my case, I wanted to make something that would have value to me both in a, like a long-term sense and in a sense of like for me, for the music that I write, and for the music that I've been producing, I want to be able to, um, you know, have have an outlet for that and a context for that that we often don't get when we're playing these like club gigs. And you know, there's always a, right. a Drake record we should be playing instead. Um, you know, even yeah. someone I, I feel like I just saw Craze yesterday on Twitter talking about uh, that sort of thing where he he puts this music out, he makes this music, and then he goes to the club and he's not able to like play it and i feel like our our opportunity to do those sort of things really comes in us you know taking the power um and creating our own context and our own environment and then we can do those things i mean if you sell hard tickets then no one's going to tell you anything you can do whatever you want you can bang on a tin can right you know (laughs) yeah but they're coming to see what you've sort of released and showed them what who you are you know yeah absolutely Absolutely. So, so my, my, my hat show has been like a weekly kind of exercise in, in putting like a show set together. Um, I, I kind of honestly am, uh, it's a little slower pace than like, maybe like my like stage show thing, but not much. And I'm really working because in my head, the work I'm doing every week for this, at some point, a bunch of that work is going to find itself in those sort of context and those sort of show sets so this is me doing the work every week and then making my own outlet for it so right and when you say that this is this plays into your long-term goal is that what you mean that that you can play sort of have your own outlet and be able to play music you've produced edits you've made and your type of show that you want to then present to people once we're back out in the world yeah i mean i think that uh the idea that you know, oh, DJs need to produce in order to kind of level up. I mean, we saw that as like an EDM thing for a long time. But honestly, if we look back even further than that, all the DJs that we know, um, they've put albums out. Jazzy Jeff has produced. Premier has produced. Pete Rock has produced. uh, Z Trip. All these guys that do all these things, they've put music out and albums out. And I think that that's... Part it's in large part because that's how the industry works. Uh, the industry is set up to consume music that way, and people are set up to consume music that way. Most people, I don't think, are really aware enough at like uh, knowledgeable listeners to know the difference between a good DJ and a bad DJ. They just know the DJ that played their favorite song or not, you know. And that's fine. That's just where they're at. Um, in the same way that like. You know, a lot of people uh, feel like, you know, say uh, classical music is maybe too highbrow for them. You know what uh-huh. I mean? They they kind of don't get it. Um, you know, there's kind of there's levels to it as far as your level of understanding of it. And so for us DJs to be separating ourselves with, um, you know, our DJ mixes 
is sometimes really tricky to like kind of sell that to people, especially now in our internet age where everything is very fast. You know, like yeah. what what are you going to do over a 60-minute mix that you can present to somebody in about 16 seconds? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. all the things and and you know, I always say when when people are writing their bios, writing bios is really hard until you have a hit record. And then you're like, oh, I'm the guy who made that song. That's my bio. Like, yeah. I made that song. That's the bio. If you like that song, you should come see me play. If not, then you might not like the way I DJ. And that's okay. Right. And that that's kind of settles the whole thing immediately, right? True. Um, if you don't have that, or if you don't even have anything approaching that, if you don't have a song someone can listen to that kind of coalesces all your influences and gives that vibe across to people... You know, it's just, it's a, it's a harder sell. So, so yeah, I feel like that's definitely a strong component. Um, and honestly, I've just been interested in making more music. Like, I feel like, uh, I'm kind of building my vocabulary and finding my voice, you know, for that sort of thing and kind of finding a uniqueness, um, in that. So yeah, so it's been cool to like do. And so I'm trying to make sure that I have an outlet for it, at least as far as I can have an outlet for it to create that. Yeah. Yeah, I think this is a good time that DJs and everyone, but DJs can uh, build bodies of work that they can have and continue on for their legacy, you know, and and whether it's classes they want to make or songs or mixtapes or whatever, but work on uh, root material that you can present to people now and it will live on um, as well as make changes. Like you said, um, adjust your course, try out new things, experiment, try to become this type of producer, you know, whatever. Now, now's the time. Yeah. If you've, if, if, if there's ever been a reset button being pushed, um, it's being pushed right now. So I mean, yeah, a- absolutely. I mean, every week I feel like I'm, I'm doing two things with my, which my, with my hat show every, every week I'm, I'm curating all my influences and I'm yeah. like spending time with music that's inspiring to me. And I'm working on routines, trying out different arrangements of things, working on like blends. And, and I'm actually playing some of the original music in there. And every show, I end up having a list of notes that after the show, I'm going and I'm adjusting the mixes on things. Yeah. Uh, I'm doing because it's it's different once you hear it in context with a bunch of other stuff. As a DJ, you immediately know what's wrong, but too right. often we just we listen to it uh, only by itself. Even if you do the car test, which helps with the context thing, you're still mostly listening to it by yourself. You're not listening to ten minutes of other music and then putting it on. True, and then listening to something after it, and you get a sense real fast of like if if it's doing what it needs to do. Right, and when you say that it's music that you like. Um, what, what is music that you're inspired to play right now? I mean, it's, it's a lot of different things. Like it's pretty broad and diverse. Uh, certainly some, like some beat music stuff, some new hip hop stuff, whether it be some commercial stuff, some indie rap stuff. Um, I mean, I, I came up DJing like raucous and Def Jux and rhyme sayers, you know, um, same. I've I've done uh you know Soundset Festival like six or seven times, you know, and so uh you know there's a part of me that's like always connected to like the the indie rap world, um, and you know, but also all the like really kind of modern uh you know electronic music stuff that that's produced and and honestly just stuff like what's the stuff now that I feel like 
is iconic sounding, will have value, you know, later on. And, you know, you kind of just go through it. But, you know, specifically with my Thursday show, it's definitely a place where um, it's definitely a place for like the the kind of left field stuff. You know what I mean? Like there's there's yeah. not a lot of familiar stuff. It's for music fans, music heads, like for all the people that are just like DJs don't break records anymore. It's just like I'm playing the stuff every Thursday. Right. You know what I mean? Every and, week. And they all are. This I'm is the time stuff. to see, yeah, see the DJs personalities and I mean even last night I went on um I was on Mad Decent's Twitch and yeah, yeah, yeah. Paul uh Paul Devro is on there playing to like 17,000 people. And playing the weirdest music I think I've That's ever amazing. heard <laughs> in That's my amazing. life. That's amazing. I love it. I don't know if I... It was all songs that you know, but totally remixed into the weirdest way. It was like he was DJing from the year 2050 or something. But it was okay. dope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it was really weird with the visuals. It, but it was so cool to just see people doing whatever they want. The, the crowd that wants to see that will watch. The crowd that doesn't won't. And at the same time, Four Color Zach was on. And... Another, you know, so many DJs all doing their thing, you know, and then Fran's in from Vegas and everybody's doing what they want to present, you know, whether it's a comedy yeah, yeah, thing, absolutely. you know, yeah. or whatever. Um, so I love it. I love the live streaming thing right now. I mean, I feel like, honestly, I feel like when I was, you know, in my 20s or, or a teenager, when I was flipping through pirate radio stations or trying to hear DJs on, on my local station late at night, you know, the underground hip hop show and... I'm like constantly, oh, tonight, Jazzy Jeff's playing this person, that. I get to watch it. You know, it's so inspiring every day and every I night. have I have definitely had uh, my phone playing a live stream and my yeah. iPad playing a live stream and just like going up and down on the volumes of both yep. because I'm just like, there's too much new music to discover right now. I want to I take it all in. And I'm literally like, um, one of my favorite streams is uh, Cosmo Baker's Monday stream. Uh, yeah, he plays so like kind of old school hip hop, and I mean he's he's a good DJ always, but yeah. when he goes in that bag, it's just like there's just like a certain like vibe, and I, I do this thing, and 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 maybe this this is helpful for other DJs as well. Where in my head I'm always just like, well, what song would I play next, yeah. right? And the cool thing about the fact that I'm listening to these live stream DJs play like a different set of music is it immediately gets me out of my routines and different yeah. sets. So I'm listening to somebody play music that I might never play, but what would I play next? You know what I mean? And yeah. then doing that for like, um, you know, an hour or whatever, and then just like taking notes of like, oh, I would play this or I would do this or, oh yeah, what about this song? Oh, I could do like a version of that song that would work as an intro or as I or I could do like an acapella intro of that song. So let me write that down. And then I just go and I just make all the edits, yeah. you know, which is why, you know, uh, which is why at, at the end of the year, you know, when I send out my like my like kind of edit pack email list thing, um, I have so much random stuff in there. It's like I feel I, I look at it like all my homeless edits. Right. It's just like, you know, right. it's like. There's so many weird things in there, but it's from these sort of ideas to just be like, oh, well, maybe I would play this random Primus song this one time and like, okay, let me do an edit. So if that ever happens, I, I can actually work it in, you know, yeah. that sort of a thing. That's great. And then you had a new mix um, on Chow Down, well, uh, called Chow Down, right? On Yeah, um, yeah. So that's this dude from uh, New Zealand, uh, Scissorhands out in New Zealand. 
Um, and uh, I got to link up with him when I was out on tour. Um, I think Big Once plugged us up together. So shout out to Big Once. And uh, yeah, he was great. Uh, he really showed me around. Uh, it, it was my first time in New Zealand. And uh, he showed me around. We went to like the Black Sands beaches and the, the ocean tried to swallow my wallet. And luckily I, uh, I made it back out alive with it and oh, the whole thing. Thankfully. So, yeah, you know, life, hap- life happens. But uh, um, yeah, so that's like a, uh, there's like a, a chain of uh, restaurants out there that he does like a, a, I don't know if it's weekly or monthly, but he does a, a mix series and he invited me to do one. And honestly, that mix is kind of similar to what I'm doing with the hatch. Um, okay. Where that mix at the time was like, those were uh, kind of all the music that I had put in like my other crate. And I'm like, right. oh, can I work this into a live set at a club somewhere? Can I like sneak this in? And I'm just like, I'm just going to do the whole mix that way of yeah. all these things. And, and I was really happy with it. And honestly, if I sit down to like write music, I can put that mix on and remind myself what my goals are aesthetically. Remind myself like what the things are because depending on like what you last listened to beforehand, you might start off in the wrong place. You know, yeah. you might be like, "Oh, I got to do this or that or the other thing because this is what's popular right now or whatever." True. But, you know, I feel like if I make music based off that template and then figure out what to do with it after I'll be happy with it. You know? Yeah. No, it's like, I, I, to... I, I always understand that. It, I mean, it's the music business. The words are together for a reason, right? Like, yes, the, it doesn't, it doesn't go very far, very long. If, if the business isn't right, but music comes first for me and it comes first in the phrase. And I think that's important because if you switch them around and you call it business music, that sounds like a terrible genre in a party. I don't want to go to. And that's like, funny because you can say that and I can instantly picture what business music is, you know, and it's like exactly awful. Exactly. Yeah. Like it's we true. all know that- it and we can all see it. And even though I think the honesty from the industry side of things, I think they've gotten more adept at making things look cooler. Yeah. We are all still aware of a lot of business music that is made purely as a product. Yeah. And that's fine. That's fine. You can go sell incense you can go sell uh, super soakers like whatever it is yeah that's your product go sell your product but um you know for me i approach it from like an aesthetic standpoint and then i want to figure out what's the best way to sell it once i've made it you know what i mean same thing with my djing honestly like i want to be like a fresh dj i want to be a dope dj i also want to be relevant i also want to be able to play in normal nightclubs you know, I want to figure that out, but I want to start from a place of like being dope and being fresh and not start yeah. from a place of being like, oh, I'm just going to like, what is everybody else doing? What What's the easy yeah. way out? Like we could all be wedding DJs and make good money. Right. Like, you know, that, that's, that's a pathway and, and no shots to them. Like, you know, that's cool. And there's, there's dudes that kill that. There's guys that right. are great at that. Absolutely. Yeah. I am not, I am not one of them. I think that it's very important to continuously remind yourself why you're doing something and what your goals are, especially in this type of business and especially when you're your own boss. Because like you said, we could all be wedding DJs. And I've seen a lot of very creative um, DJs that don't want to be a wedding DJ, but then are like 
yo, I'm hyped. I'm getting paid this much to DJ a wedding. And yes, that is super dope. And we all want to make money and you're making money off the DJing. But in reality, if you go back in time, you don't necessarily want to be DJing all the weddings all the time, whether you're getting paid a ton of money or not, you got into this for a different reason. So if you could make things happen from that, you should try to push through and do that. You know what I mean? And know that you have the secondary things. Of course, I do wedding. I mean, everybody does them if you get paid enough, but unless that's your art or your main focus, then you have to continuously look back at what you're spending your time yeah, on. Focusing. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think it's easy to kind of get lost along your path and your journey. And, yes. and honestly, some people some people are just like, look, I'm not interested in being a DJ like the DJ I was when I got into this, but yeah. I still have this skill set. I still have this skill set. I still have these opportunities. So I'm going to go do that because I like doing that more than a normal job, which is fine. You know, that's great. Yeah, that's true. Um, what um another question <laughs> um so as far as you know we were discussing dj city chick, chick. Can, and your can, edits. can you hear me now yeah we got can, you can you hear me again all right yep. well, rewind that back a little bit i didn't hear what you said oh all minute. good i was just sort of pausing for time so if we leave this oh, okay. in you guys see the reality of someone uh, someone someone's gonna be able to uh check tell that my my ear pod changed that's why i actually was only using one so i was like if it runs out i could just swap to the other good one. good plan see we always have continuity, backup continuity errors continuity okay? errors this is what we do we got backups upon Yo, backups <laughs> absolutely uh, but no like 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 what i was saying uh as far as the uh the the you know getting into it why you got into it and stuff yeah um you know people end up with like a certain skill set and they're like oh cool like let's um Let's figure out like what I can do with the skill set I have. So that's great. You know, you should go do that. Um, but I think it's really important to know where you are in that whole kind of arc or where you are along that, you know, uh, kind of continuum of like, are you providing a service? Are you being an artist? And where are you along here? Because Honestly, if you're providing a service, you're going to approach it differently than if you're uh, being an artist. And a lot of times guys get frustrated because they're, they're artists putting themselves into a service situation. That's or so they're, true. they're service DJs, and when they get into an artist situation, it doesn't work out for them either. And, you know, it, it's interesting. A lot of people who DJ, like, uh, just do a lot of standard kind of nightclub work. Yeah. They think that, like... Their Instagram followers and da 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 are their are their clients. At the end of the day, those people's clients is probably the venue owner. That's actually your client. Right. Whereas if you're an artist, your clients are your fans. Yeah. And and it's a different thing. And and I feel like people, if they understand, I don't think one is better than the other. But I think if there was kind of more granularity as far as how people understand what they're doing and the context they're doing it in. They would be happier with it. They would be less frustrated. And you would know if you're like, okay, I'm doing like a service gig. This isn't about me at all. Or yeah. this is all about me. And I better present something that is about me, you know, present something and have that prepared. So, so yeah, I feel like there's sometimes just kind of a lot of kind of cloudiness in there. And a lot of people try to sell one as the other often yeah. as well. Which right. doesn't help the clarity either. And but, they're the same thing. So it does get confusing even as the person in the middle of it. Like you said, I've 
felt those feelings and had those thoughts myself that you're saying, you know, where you're like, oh, but they hired me for me. I should be doing this. Oh, but actually I'm in the service that, you know, you get caught in that middle area. I mean, absolutely. And, and this is why it's kind of a gift and curse of DJing because yeah. as DJs, we can very fluidly kind of move between these things and we can make it look one way if that's good for our marketing, even though it's the other way and whatever, yeah. like we can do all these sort of things, but that's why you have to understand it. So you personally don't get lost in that mix. So, so you're not feeling like, Oh, what, why am I doing this again? Like, why, wh how is this working for me? What, what are my goals even like, how is this all kind of playing into each other? I think it's more important that each person understands their own role. And then you have to have an understanding of the industry and your place in it. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, there is some fluidity. It's like, it's like you can be the band, the cover band, which, you know, being a cover band would be more on the service end of things, but maybe you want to play one or two of your own songs in that set. Yeah. I promise you, if you do that, there will be somebody in the crowd that's like, go back to playing journey. Yeah. Go back to playing play pour some sugar on me, like whatever, right? Yep. And so, um, you know, you got to know those things, right? Of like, where are you on this kind of continuum? It, it, to me, it's important uh, for people because honestly, I feel like just knowing that will help people be happier with their own careers. Yeah. It's almost like DJs need a physical um, check-in list or checklist that they can go over all the elements of like, why are you doing this? What are the type of things you do? You know, like, what do you want to portray? You know, like, even leading into that whole, the way they talk about social media and your brand and all that stuff and Gary Vee and all this. But in a way, just to give clarity to ourselves because we don't, ha we're alone in this. We don't have a bosses or other people coming to us. And a lot of people don't have managers or booking agents or anyone saying stuff to For them. Sure. So For sure. You you lose focus or you lose your your goals and your you know path in a way so i, I mean think, I, yeah i i feel like from a branding standpoint um i mean you're totally right it's important for us to know like what is our product yeah what is our brand and again this gets so confused because it's such a fluid sort of thing right but like a lot of times people's brand is celebrity and a yeah. lot of times people's brand is image or there's a lot of kids who do, maybe it's music or they DJ or whatever, but at the end of the day, they're only doing it to create a social media following yeah. because at the end of the day, their product is the social media following. Their product isn't the music and the content. And again, I don't think that that's a bad thing. Um, that's just not my thing. Right. Um, if somebody, if somebody's like, no, I just want to be an influencer or whatever, like, I'm not going to knock them for that. They're just probably going to uh, go about DJing in a different way than I'm going to go about it because I've kind of had to realize my product is art and music and DJing. Like that is my product. So I try to stay focused as much as I kind of dabble in those other areas as far as branding and social media stuff. And, you know, it's, it's important to do those things in the same way. Those kids, they're, they're perfect at social media. They're science. The way I'm a science about a scientist about DJing, yes. they're a scientist about their social media. Right. And they dabble in DJing. Yep. Right? Like that's what they dabble in. And, and so and you can tell. And just like you can tell my social media, like every once in a while I get somebody who's like way into social media be like, Well, you should do this and that and da da da. And I'm just like, Yeah, but that's not really selling the product. That's a different thing. 
That's for somebody else. And I think as, you know, we all are our own companies. Yeah. We all are, are our own products. This is an issue for every company, no matter what your product is. Yeah. You know, like someone like Facebook, what is their product? You right. know, like they if it looks forward facing one way, but behind the scenes, their product is they sell all of our data that we give to them. That's right. their product. And then we so they pe- try to sell stuff back to us. <laughs> And then they the try average. to sell stuff back to us, right? So when we complain about the parameters of something like Facebook or whatever, um, at the end of the day, they don't care. Right. And they shouldn't because no. that's not their business model. Yeah. Like they have what they want. Like their their client is not us because we don't pay them. Their yeah. client is the the company that pays them for the advertising. Yep. And I think it's important to remember those things and and be realistic about your role in in whatever situation you're in. So see, you thought we were going to get nerdy about DJing on the <laughs> podcast. No, no, no. We're going to get nerdy about business on the podcast. <laughs> well, I think that can help a lot of people out there. You know, um, we're all, like you said, running our own business while trying to be these artists. It's really hard. And especially now with all the changes that are happening, like yeah. who knows what this landscape is going to look like, you know, after all the things start opening up and things get moving again, like right. night nightclubs and, and, and bars and stuff might be one of the last things that even if they open up, they might be the last thing that like really gets going again. Yeah. Um, so we'll have to see. And at this point, I don't think any amount of understanding is bad. Yeah. It can only benefit you. Exactly. Just this is your study time. I've been learning so much from technical stuff to OBS to yeah. down to, like you said, the branding to just rethinking all types of things. Just a good time for reflection and learning from other people. I mean, it's, defi- it's, it's definitely easier to change lanes once you slow the car down a little bit. Like, yeah, you know, otherwise you're, otherwise you're trying to make a right hand turn at full speed and it's all bad, but yeah. everything slowed down a little bit. So, you know, I think I, I in a way as as difficult as this has been for our industry, it's also an opportunity if we choose to use it as such. And some people are already benefiting from it, you know, from someone like D nice that decided to go live stream every single night, no matter what. And then now he has huge deals coming from it and everything, you know, that there are opportunities at, in a lot of places you would not think, you know, so don't, I, I absolutely, absolutely. And yeah, honestly, I feel like it's it's as changing a landscape as ever. Yeah, you know, I don't, I don't ever, I don't ever really feel like, uh, I don't ever really feel like we're in a, a steady, consistent landscape. Like it always no. changes. Always. EDM came through a couple years ago, and it changed the whole thing. Completely. What everybody was doing, you know. Yeah. No, it changed Las Vegas. It changed all of the places we were working at. I mean, everything. You know, yeah. like social media came through. Like I I yep. was the first person in my market that was texting people to come out to gigs. Right. And I remember the other promoters in the city thought it was the dumbest idea. And they, they all were just like, like they were verbal about it. You know, like people like talk behind your back. Yeah. No, they talked to my face right. about how they thought it was a whack idea. And within uh, six months to a year, they were all doing it. And my parties worked out well. So, you know, it's like, and then after that came the social media stuff and, you know, from Friendster, MySpace to Facebook, all of it. Like, these are all giant shifts and changes. Serato and digital DJing was a giant shift and change. Yeah. And, you know, we're going to look back at like Ustream and, you know, the early kind of streaming platforms. And in a way, that's going to be our final scratch, 
right? Yeah. Like Final Scratch came and it didn't really get adopted, but it was like it there. It was the, it was the proof of concept. It cracked you know? the door open. What? Yeah, I mean, it really did. And then and then it got better with Serato and stuff. And then it was like all there. So now we have this live streaming thing, which has been going on for a while. But this pressure of this lockdown really just kind of made people innovate and open up. And so, you know, the industry will always change that way. There will always be something like that. And always. So, yeah. And now know. there's Twitch and all the DJs are trying to build their following on there. And there's so many new things coming out, too. I mean, I've just been been on calls and meetings with people lately where they're like i have this app launching in two weeks i got this app i got this platform i got you know and you're like oh my god like everyone's just trying to shoot their shot you know within this space right now while everybody's at home and can try things out i I love it i think it's great i mean granted I, i wish we could get to this spot of innovation without so much uh without so many a people dying right but also exactly just so many people being unemployed and so yeah. many, you know like this isn't the ideal way to get there but we're here so make the most of it you know yeah. like anything else it's right like, it's Obviously. like djing it's like it's like djing the party for like 15 people sometimes you get on a flight you go all the way across the country yeah. and nobody shows up maybe right. it rains like whatever you make the best of it. You have the yeah. best party you can. And you, know? you never know what that leads to. You know what I mean? So you could sit around and complain all day, you know, the, oh, the government's doing this or that. You know, it's like, just do what I'll you're tell good you what, at. I remember, I remember the first time I saw a DJ, DJ for like an almost empty room. And he literally would put a record on and he would go down and dance with people on the dance floor while the record was playing. Yeah. And then he would go back up and whatever. And... From like a DJ perspective, I was like, oh, what is that? And then I'm looking to it and I was like, these people are getting like a once in a lifetime experience to dance with this DJ they came out and saw to to see to play, (laughs) right? Like he gave them their money's worth 100%. And again, it's not about what didn't I like. It's about what can I learn from that experience? Yeah. You know what I mean? To like, what can I really take away? That's like a positive thing from that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that really kind of just was like, it really gave me pause and to experience that. That's, that's dope. Um, and as far as, like you said before, um, working with DJ city and making edits and whether you're making edits for people to play in stadiums or play on live streams, um, how do you go about making your edits or coming up with the ideas? Do you have a certain amount of time per week you dedicate to it or or how does that work? Uh, I do have a certain amount of time. It's called always. <laughs> I am essentially always like I think for me and and now it's just so ingrained, but I'm an active listener. Yeah. Like there's a lot of people that are passive listeners. They go out to a party, they enjoy the party. There are times where I probably should do that more, but I don't. I'm with I'm you. Gener- I'm with you. Yeah. I am an active listener. I will um, Shazam anyone's set. I will uh, I will creep on people if yeah. that's what it comes down to. Generally, oh, only if I note, know them. The, like your, um, one thing I have been doing during the lockdown with the live streams, which is super nice, or if I have to go out of the room or something... I put auto Shazam on auto my Shazam. Thing, yes. And I've had it on yes. for like weeks at this point. And so any stream that's going off my computer or I'll just put my 
iPad by my computer when I'm playing with my son and it'll Shazam every single thing so I can go back and go, oh, I forgot about that song or I've never even heard that, you know, so and, auto and be And there's going to be a bunch of people, yes, all you have to do is you long press the Shazam button and it'll yeah. engage auto so. Shazam and then from the background, it'll do it. Because these are DJs I've wanted to hear for years and years I never get to hear and now I'm like, Absolutely. okay, I, I even get their track and, list. And you're hearing them in their own context, not yeah. at a club where they have to like bow to the club. So they're playing so songs great. that I really want to look up and Absolutely. have in my own library or just remember. So here's, here's the thing. There's a lot of guys that are going to hear this and think they're like, oh, that's that's bullshit. You shouldn't be doing that. That's biting and da-da-da. Right. I don't you think still, so. You still have to do the work yeah. to go look up the song, to learn the music, and to do all that homework, it's not just handing it to you. No, it's not the same as when you used to have to go to a record store and find the record and dig for the record and, and all that. It is a different thing. But I challenge people to, instead of doing the easy thing of just taking it, you still have to come up with a cool edit or a cool context with it. You still have to work it into your mix. Right. Because we're not talking about Drake songs here. We're talking about interesting, unique yeah. sort of things where it's like, oh, that's a dope song, but how am I going to work it into my set? Yep. And so to me, it's a totally valid tool to increase your knowledge, increase your music base, and to really e expand this whole thing, expand your vocabulary. Right. Um, so yeah, so I'm doing stuff like that. I'm listening to people's live sets, you know, especially now. Yeah. Um, and I actually hope that people continue live streaming because I, as a fan, I'm still live streaming. I'm actually listening to some of my, my friends' DJ sets who, um, they have like my edits, uh, big shout out to my buddy Glenn. Uh, I was just telling him this the other day. Uh, he's got, uh, you know, he's he's back in Wisconsin. He's got my edits from long, long time ago. And so when he plays them on his stream, I've forgotten about them. Yeah. Right? So I'm listening to my friend's stream, and he's not playing anything crazy or deep. It's like pretty straightforward stuff. Right. Um, and I'm literally like, I should play this edit. I should play this edit. But they're my own edits. Yeah. Right? I'm just reminding myself of them. Yeah. Um, you, you have so, yeah, so many I, edits. I mean, you probably have So, so I take my inspiration everywhere. I take notes while I DJ. Yeah. I take notes while somebody else is DJing. And I write the stuff down, but I actually go back and I do them. You know what I mean? I actually get them done. I do them. I try to work them into sets, you know, and yeah, honestly, it's been just, it's just part of my workflow. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think it helps too, as you get, uh, as you do it longer, you make the decisions faster and you get a better sense of like what the, the reasonable decisions would be. So you're not so far out of the box. Right. And then I would say the, the other thing with my edits is I take notes about how the first draft, the second draft, the 30th draft works. Oh, and I workshop them and I keep re-editing them until they work. That's smart. I've done that too, where I'm like, oh, I, I, I did too much of a sweep or I did that too long or, you know, whatever you notice when, yeah. when you get the, the but again, a lot of this is, a lot of this is comes down to the timing of things yeah. and making sure that it's punchy and that it's, uh, you know, really what you want it to be. Right. Um, so that it works. It just comes down to the timing. And then sometimes you even end up with two different versions. Yeah. You know, you end up with two or three different versions and now you have options to work it into your set as well. Yeah. So, 
So yeah, I I do edits uh, certainly every week for myself. I do edits just about every day. Wow. Something. Um, I mean, I keep a list. So it's like there's priority things of like, I should do this right away. And then there's kind of a backlog of things. You know, I know you're always thinking because like I did a live stream for BeatSource and I was using this uh, just the acapella of Uptown Funk and I had set a couple cue points and it went over this Folamore track and I decided, oh, I'll do this and then click that. And then you emailed me the next day like, yo, I saw you cutting that up, but I made this edit that would make it easier. I was like, oh, man, this is the best. So thank you. But but that's the active listening right there, like you're saying. Absolutely. And I really try to do that. Like if I... If I feel like I'm very inspired, especially if somebody's like doing something specific, yeah, I take that a little careful. I try to take carefully from that, right? Because I don't want to just wholeheartedly take it, right? Like, yeah, I didn't want to just like set it up to flip it like the way that you did it. Um, so I made a little tool that was like inspired by, but I also didn't like. I didn't send that into DJ City to get put up. Right. You know what I mean? It's like, I sent it to you back because I feel like that's just fair. So if you have some value and some use to it, cool. Yeah, thank you. Um, and, uh, you know, maybe that'll end up in the year-end pack. We'll see. Right. Well, it's dope. You know. Um, what's your... And so you obviously make all these edits and do all this, which leads me to believe that you're very organized with your Serato or your music. Um, is that true or no? I am exactly as organized as i need to be okay um which is not nearly as organized as other people right okay um do you have any specific tips do you think that you i I don't have i don't have organizational tips because i don't feel like i've ever found like the magic way that makes me feel great about my organization i'm with you when i was playing records I would generally, if I was doing half a night with someone, I would take out like two crates of records. If I was doing a whole night, I'd take out like three. Yeah. Um, and I would repack my records before every gig. Mind, mind you, there were like two years where I was playing like 300 gigs a year. Wow. So I was repacking my bags before every gig for the most part. And what I would do is I would like sort them back into like these stacks and then I would sort them into the crate and just spending that time kind of got my head in the game and meant that I was like aware of what I was bringing, but it also cycled different things through my sets as well. Yeah. And so I've never been able to like replicate that sort of a workflow. Uh, I've never been able to replicate, uh, you know, I've just never found the thing. The right. one thing that I did do that I found very useful for me, and I know this is going to sound crazy to people, but this worked for me. I took my entire music library and it was like stretching out. So I do use an external hard drive. Okay. And it was stretching out beyond the hard drive size. And I was like, do I scale up the hard drive or do I just let some of this stuff go? Do I really need every acapella I've ever found on this DJing hard drive. Right. Probably not. So I went out and bought a new hard drive. Um, and I, you know, copied the hard drive over cause you always want to be safe and back up your data. Yeah. Also, whoever's listening to this podcast, you probably haven't backed up your data in a while. You can back up your data while this podcast is playing. Just be aware. Yeah. Hook the Start time machine now. drive up, you know? All right. 
That's the PSA. Um, so I had this this mirrored copy of my DJ hard drive, and I deleted every or I, and so then I de- I deleted the old one and I moved stuff over. That was only if it was in a crate, if it was um, imported in my library in the last two years, or if I had played it in the last two years. That was it. So if it was in a crate, then I should keep it because I obviously felt like it was valid enough to put in a crate. Yeah. If I had imported it within the last year or two, maybe it just hasn't made its way into a crate. And if I had played it, maybe I would want to play it again. Right. Right. That was the only stuff I took. I went in one afternoon, I went from a terabyte down to 300 gigs. Damn. Like, boom, in one afternoon, sorted it out. Now, there were definitely songs that I didn't have. When I was out DJing somewhere, I'd be like, oh, I want to play this like random song. Like, I used to do uh, a night on Mondays that was like a hip hop night, you know, and we would get kind of like underground and old schoolish sometimes. So I would be able to kind of pull out some cuts, right? Maybe like some Camp Low or like Boot Camp Click or whatever. Right. Um, and there would be times where like I wouldn't have those. So I would make a note as I was DJing to just put it back and then I would play it the next week and my life was okay. Because I came from an era where I was DJing out of crates of records, and if you didn't bring that record, you didn't play it. Right. But the party still happened. People still got drunk. People still made bad decisions. You were the soundtrack. It all happened, right? Yep. Like, it was fine. So it's like one of those things where by just like letting go a little bit, it made it very fast. So every once in a while, I know people sometimes need to slim their library down. This worked for me. Maybe it would work for them. Back up your library beforehand. You don't want to get caught out there. Uh, yeah. But uh, so you then, know, do you just have this I, one big master library? So I now have like the master library, which is which I have moved over to the bigger to a bigger drive. Right. And then I have like my DJ library, which slowly flows back onto the master library. Right. So, and you cut it out. That's a good yeah. way to do it. It's like having the huge record shelves at home and then going to the crate, you know, going to the gig with three crates. Like yeah, you saying. don't bring everything with right. you. Like, you know, it was just one of those things where uh, as the library grew and honestly, you know, I was talking with someone the other day about like uh, live streams, about yeah. not keeping them forever. Right. And I kind of feel like at some point you got to let some of these things go in order to be able to like move forward and grow. Yeah. Like if you're... if. If anything, social media has taught us is maybe we don't need a perfect, a picture perfect, accurate representation of our past. Maybe it's better to like leave some of that alone, only as how we remember it. Right. Like maybe that actually benefits us more instead of having this like perfect memory of it in like right. These it's it's and like stuff. The, like bands putting out like live DVDs back in the day or something like. They weren't like, here's every single show from our whole tour. You know, they like pick the yeah. best one if they're going to put it out. And in a way, you, you do put a lot of pressure on yourself doing the live stream and knowing that it's going to be saved forever. But when you're doing one and you think it could, it'll be up there for three days or it'll disappear, then just you're, you're a little more loose, you know, and have fun. Well, and I'm not, I'm not famous enough that anybody's saving mine forever. So, you know. I, I no, but, this, but like, you window save, of opportunity. But, but like you saying that, oh, you're going to save it on your page forever, you know? Yeah, yeah, but but I can get rid of it. That's the thing. 
I can get right. it. I can live yeah. for a little while and then get rid of it. And honestly, I've been letting I've been letting this stuff up like live for a week. Yeah. Because I also feel like and and this probably works against my branding and marketing. Right. But I like the fact of like people having to show up for something. Yeah. To feel like you have to be in the moment to like to be there. Right. I think that that curates the best fans. Yeah. And I'm not sure going forward how I'm going to kind of cultivate that, but that's definitely something kind of on my radar. It creates good conversation because it's timely, you know, and... and yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I think that's, you know, part of it. Um, so we discussed, we said earlier that you grew up in Milwaukee, you're a Midwesterner, um, but you moved to LA a while ago. Um, what was it like coming up in Milwaukee? Which D, um, did you have DJs that influenced you there, or people that you would watch videos of, or um, you know, how did you? What was it like coming up there, and who were your influences as DJs? Uh, yeah, so Milwaukee was, uh, you know, like most Midwest kind of mid-sized cities, I would say. Yeah. Um, you know, I have I have such a good network of you know DJs in all these Midwest cities and. When we talk about it, we've kind of all had somewhat similar experiences. Um, but yeah, honestly, uh, DJing in Milwaukee was... I I did well there. Uh, the barrier to entry was pretty low. Mm-hmm. You got a shot. And if you yeah. did the work, you could get a shot and you could get some momentum going. And you could really see. Um, it's harder in bigger cities to just kind of get that shot sometimes. Yeah. Um, because there's more pressure on everything. Right. Whereas I was able to kind of pick spots and find opportunities. So that was cool. And that honestly was almost like part of that was almost like an incubator for like my sound and my aesthetic. Mm-hmm. And I truly credit it to why I feel like I sound different from other DJs today. Yeah. Like even if we're just doing a top 40 commercial club, I approach it differently. I, I'm going to sound different than other people. Right. Um, and so, so yeah, Milwaukee was, was dope. Um, I was part of a, a DJ crew uh, called the Fader Gremlins, which was like a scratch pickle style sort of turntable performance group kind of early on. Nice. And honestly, this was us, like me and uh, my buddy Jordan and uh, my guy John Swan and uh, this guy James. We kind of just all got together and... We were just hanging out. We rented like a loft space as a practice space. We were just hanging out there doing this thing, right? And it yeah. was just like, uh, so that was a thing. This was right around the time when like uh, Scratch the movie was coming out. Like yeah. we had we had formed and had done that uh, before Scratch the movie, but it was like within that whole movement of things, right? Yeah. So there was that angle. And then, you know, that kind of just put us out there a little bit. Uh, I was opening up for, like, indie rap tours, whether it was, like, Atmosphere or Hieroglyphics or whoever was coming through. There was a radio show at the time called The Late Night Hype Show that was kind of like stretching Bobito for the Midwest. Right. Um, A lot of, like, really important uh, things happened on that show Um, as far as, like, the Midwest indie rap scene. Uh, Mm -hmm. I was going out to Scribble Jam in Cincinnati, you know, all these sort of things, and... Uh, at some point, I started DJing uh, with my homie YB, who oh, nice. is, uh, uh, he's like a DJ who's been in Milwaukee a long time. He was definitely before me, um, and it was great because he was able to open up a lot of doors for me, and I was able to kind of work a different angle promotionally as him. So him and I collaborating on nights was great, oh. and we ended up doing a night after we got fired at a nightclub. 
uh, we ended up doing a night called No Request Fridays because we were like, kind of like, well, fuck it. Let's just carve out this space for us to yeah. do what we want to do. Great name. And it was crazy because at that time, like, that's a thing DJs talk about now and whatever. Yeah. They talk about No Request and then they'll just play Drake records all night. But yeah. they want to do it on their terms. Yeah, yeah. Right? So when we were doing our No Request nights, we were picking like the best kind of like freshest music from the pop landscape, but then mirroring it with like the underground stuff and the non-commercial stuff. And at that point, there was this huge divide. Right. Right? Huge, Like yeah. someone like Lizzo now would not be on the pop charts the way she is now. Right. She would have been like an underground artist. And honestly, she was for a long time. Like yeah. I opened up for Lizzo probably seven years ago or something. Yeah. Like she was like at Summerfest, she was like a midday act. Right. Right. She did a short set because I don't think she had that much material and it was dope. It was cool. Yeah. Um, but so we were combining these two things and I actually did a mix called club soda, no ice mm -hmm. that is also up on the mix cloud. Totally. That is really like, kind of this experience of like independent rap music over like clubby rap beats. Yeah. Um, and it's the sort of thing where if like you were an indie rap head, you'll get it. Like if you know about like Sage Francis and Black Alicious and like Def Jux, but it's like over like Jaquan beats and like Jim Jones beats and like, uh, you know, all these different things. Like it, it was like a very different mix. But I, I still, I listened to it uh, maybe like six months ago. And I was like, I still, I still ride with this one. Like, because none of it was, oh, this is just the big hit song right now. It has a much longer lifespan. Yeah. Right. So, so we did No Request Fridays. Uh, we actually won an award uh, that year for uh, the best like nightclub night uh, nice. that year in the city. Um, and this was the thing is like, we had curated like, fans of our specific experience yeah right all these nightclubs people maybe like going to the nightclub but it's like it's hard to sell kind of a generic experience like how do you sell something with the idea that it's the same as everywhere else right you know in a lot of places it comes down to like drink specials or stuff like that which like well or who can't really you know do much. yeah yeah, or like, are famous people going to be there? And that's a thing. Outside of like New York or LA, the famous people angle doesn't go very far. There are no famous people. Right. Or it's no sports, famous people. Sport. I know maybe. when I DJ in Milwaukee, there'd be like one famous comedian would come in or, a, or some sports people or something. I was going to say, there might be one uh, like basketball player or something right. that shows up at a nightclub. You know, something like that. Spreewell. But by and large... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Spree well indeed. Always in the club. <laughs> always always in the Milwaukee spots for sure. Um uh but at that point I realized like and this is what I'm saying as far as like an incubator for like uh for like to actually come up with like ideas and to like come up with like a creative style. That's why Milwaukee was like such an opportunity to do that. Yeah. Because I didn't have to my marketing was not um oh I'm next to this famous person. Right. My marketing was like, I'm a dope DJ and I'm playing music that you're not hearing, but you would enjoy finding out about. Mm -hmm. And so it was amazing to get to like kind of curate those sort of nights and experiences and to just really get a sense of community going, 
You know what I mean? Like, I know that I would like do nights at venues or in places or even my aesthetic for that night would maybe be a little bit more of the commercial end. But then I was doing the indie rap shows and I would literally get people involved kind of in my circle. And instead of going to the bougie club on the weekend, now that person would show up to see me open the indie rap show yeah. and then become a fan of that rapper. Yeah. You know, whether it was a local rapper or maybe it was like a touring, like a mid-level touring artist or something. Right. And it was dope. And I, I was so excited about being able to kind of like bring people in like that. Like that was very cool to me. That's great. And um, do you notice a big, well, obviously it's a big difference being in LA, but um, are there things you miss about that? I mean, I know the Midwestern vibe, my first time going to Milwaukee was somewhat shocking because of how nice everyone was. I could not believe it. Like people were so like treating me like I was their family, inviting me over for dinner. I barely, I just met them. You know, everyone was so nice out there. And I think LA is very spread out and different and there's a lot of nice people out here as well, but there's just so many people. It's a different, it's just different. You know, um, do you like being out here? Do you miss Milwaukee at all? Both. I'm, I'm giving, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm giving this like some actual thought. Um, I think like out here is the right place for me to be in LA. Yeah. Um, for work and all the things that I'm working towards and yeah, stuff. Yeah, I agree. I don't know, like, if I decided to do something else, I don't know if I would stay living in L.A. Um, I might stay on the West Coast. I don't know if I would necessarily, like, go back to Milwaukee. Although, I've always considered going back to Milwaukee as, yeah. like, a viable thing. Like, you know, whatever. If this doesn't work out or yeah. I just want to change a pace. I get, and I am so fortunate to have this happen, but I get so much, like, love and support from people in that city, like, you know, sometimes people leave their city and a bunch of people are like, oh, he thinks he's too good or da-da-da-da-da. They're really negative about it. Yeah. I got so much love and support. Like, people have been, I've been out in L.A. for, I think, like, eight or nine years now, and people have been my cheerleaders. Like, it became apparent to me that I am literally, like, carrying people's, like, hopes and dreams on my back. Like, they want to believe that it can be done and they want me to do it. And I, it. I take great. that kind of seriously. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Um, I try not to, to like waste that opportunity uh, and to, you know, blow that responsibility off. Um, because, uh, yeah, you know, it's like you go to Milwaukee and people are so nice to you because a lot of times people don't go to Milwaukee and every Midwestern city feels that way. Right. You know, people blow it off. They don't take it seriously. Like, you show up and you're prepared, and people can be genuinely thankful. I mean, it's part of the reason why when I go back to Wisconsin, I play Milwaukee, but I also play, like, the smaller cities and towns where I know people. Yeah. Because um, I do this because they're excited somebody came there. Because nobody goes there. Right. And they will support you. They will appreciate what you do. And they'll they'll just show love. And so... So yeah, I I like um, L.A. for a lot of things. I mean, clearly the weather's amazing. Um, there's uh, there's just so much art and culture. The business is here, yeah, which was a very difficult thing for me um, in Milwaukee to kind of like. How do you connect to the larger kind of business? Even people in Chicago have a hard time doing yeah. this, right? Um, and so. 
it it can be a tricky thing to not be from like New York or LA and and the internet depending on what you're trying to do can help with that sometimes. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times you just got to go and you just got to like be in people's face. Like honestly, like you and I talked about doing the podcast um most recently after the was it the Serato thing at, um, at NAM? Yeah, yeah, that's what it was. Um, Serato had an after party after NAM in January um, at yeah, the Ace Hotel. Yeah. I think it was at the Ace Hotel on the rooftop. Yeah, yeah. There and then you go. we both and ran so into each other on the we're street. We're literally just like leaving, and yep. I'm like, "Yo, I like the podcast. I've been checking it out." Like, da da da. Exactly. Like, that's how that conversation starts. It's different when you travel to places because then it's always like. Oh, I got to set up a meeting with Spider to discuss me being on his podcast. And it's all like very like goal oriented and like you got to do what you got to do. Yeah. But the vibe is so different to just be like, yo, I'm out here. You're out here. What what works? What can we what can we what can work here? And I think that that like almost the digital version of that. um, This is a good opportunity for people that are out from out of town because the barriers are slightly broken down now that. Everyone's in a chat room with another DJ. It's almost like being at that Serato thing. You know, like instead of yeah. going out, like I would recommend to people to go network and be at the places you want to yeah. and be around the people you want to work with. Go in those chat rooms. Go watch those live streams. Don't just be like, oh, I can't wait till everything comes back. I mean, that's your way of being around these people and potentially running into them in the chat or talking to them or getting the opportunity to send a DJ you love something that you made that they might like, you know. My. My next uh, conversation with a number of DJs is going to be, oh, I saw you do this thing on your stream. Right. And that's and these are people I don't know super well. Yeah. But that's going to be when I run into them because everybody comes through L.A., which is nice out here. Yeah. Uh, that's going to be my conversation with them. And, True. you know, we're all looking for like, OK, what's the like non-corny way to like start a conversation with somebody, you know, yeah. like oh, 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 whatever it might be. Yeah. You know? And it's just like if you're like, yo. I'm a fan and I saw you do this thing or play this record on your live stream and I thought that was really dope. They're going to respond in a positive way to that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I agree. So yeah, I, I, I really think, I think you're right. I think that there's a bit of a, like a leveling here. Yeah. And I wish that I saw more people that talk about wanting to do these, like they want to know why their industry or why they're not moving along their career as much as they want. Yeah. And I wish I saw more of these people taking advantage of these situations. I mean, at at any point, look, if, if I approach DJing as an art, because I do things a little different and I try to be innovative and unique, marketing yourself can be done as an art. Yeah. And I really feel like when we see the things that we write about, when when we look at like Apple, the genius of Apple's marketing, Mm -hmm. it's because it was done. The way the marketing was done was so different because he, he did it as art. And I feel like everything can be done as art if you find an interesting, innovative way to do it that has like value and resonance with people. Yeah. So, you know, I think that using live streams like that is great. I think it's dope. Yeah, me too. I think it's a good opportunity for people right now and and, and, it, learn, and it's learn available from other to everybody. Yeah. It's available to everybody. Everybody. I know. Um all right, I think we're going to get out of here, but I wanted to ask you, um, speaking of Milwaukee and other dope DJs, we got a question um, on my Instagram from DJ Chris Villa. You may have heard of him. Um, boy. <laughs> Chris Villa, boy. 
Um, he uh, he had been live streaming like every day, all night. I haven't seen him on there lately, though. So yeah, yeah, yeah. He's. I think. I think they've uh, caught on to him. I know. Unfortunately, hopefully he's all right. Which sucks. He's needed, oh, no, he he's, needs to get I on that he's Twitch, fine. Twitch tip, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I've I've seen him. He's actually been doing like the arcade spot. I think he's been like broadcasting. Oh, live broadcasting the from there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's definitely still still making his moves for sure. Right. Oh man, what are arcade spots gonna do after this? They're gonna have to have like. You wiped out all the buttons before you Bro. get on. If the no, like, no, what they're going to have already they're, they're bad enough. Gonna have, while you're waiting for the person in front of you, they're going to have those uh, those blue light things. You're going to stick your hands under <laughs> the real. blue light things to like sanitize your hands and then play. Oh my god, like that kind of sucks. I never even thought about that pinball machines. And yo, you know, or or. What it's going to do is it's going to drive virtual reality to happen, Ooh. and you're going to show up with your own visor and stuff, and your own like handwear and your own hand gloves. Nobody touches anything. Yeah, I saw last night they had uh, like the first virtual reality club, or they were promoting it as that yeah. um, gesture, and it was something called Stadio. I, I watched on YouTube though; I didn't go into the actual virtual reality club, so I don't know what it was yeah, like, yeah, yeah. but. People are really trying out so many new Bro, things. Bro, it's right innovative now. out here, man. It's the yeah. Wild West. Like, and I love it. Like, I love it. Not everything's going to work. A lot of this is going to crash and burn. Yeah. But it's exciting. It's exciting to see. Yeah, totally. Um, so, Chris Via asked, How did you get your own day in Milwaukee? <laughs> he said, How did well, he actually said, How the heck did he get his own official day in Milwaukee? How'd that come about? <laughs> so, um, like I said, Milwaukee shows me tons of love, always. I will. When I moved out of Milwaukee, it was not because I didn't want to play there. It's because I also wanted to play out in L.A. Yes. I also wanted to figure out how to play everywhere else. Right. I always like going back to Milwaukee. and uh, Yeah, I love so, going to Milwaukee, too. So we were doing the Pink Tour, and uh, um, one of the uh, production people on the tour uh, kind of reached out on my behalf without me even knowing uh he's an amazing guy and uh just one of he's like kind of the ringleader of all the people that took amazing care of me uh, yeah. on this tour and he uh um he reached out to some of the media outlets um to say like hey we have like this guy he's from Milwaukee he's coming on this big tour maybe you want to write a story da 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 you know uh and so at some point this ends up in the mayor's office. And, you know, he probably gets pitched all these ideas of things you should do and da 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 Right. right? Yeah. So, uh, the mayor's assistant, uh, uh, yeah, the, the mayor's assistant is actually somebody that grew up down the block from me. He was a DJ. He's who I bought my first turntables from. What? Right? So, like, what ended up happening, uh, so yeah, big shout out to uh, Aaron Money. Um, what ended up happening is when it came there, they were like discussing it. And then like Aaron got brought into the conversation and Aaron, Aaron was like, oh yeah, Tim? Yeah, we should definitely go do that. So it was already kind of in the works and then that kind of pushed it over the edge. So I finished my first set uh, at the show at the the Pfizer Forum, which is where the Bucks play. It's like the big thing. And like, they were so amazing to me at the at the at the the arena. Like I had never been there before, but they they caught wind that I was from Milwaukee and stuff. So there was a big welcome home sign in my my, my dressing room. This like, was on the pink they tour. Were, yeah, yeah, yeah. They were great at the arena. Just so nice. Yeah. And um, 
So then I finish my first set and I hear this voice that's like, hold on, wait, wait, wait a second, wait once. And I'm like, what's happening? The mayor walks out onto the stage, just does this whole like speech, da 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 da, gives me this plaque. Um, I, I uh, so the day is May second, so I actually recently just posted it up on my Instagram. If you want to go yeah. check it out, uh, but uh, yeah, man, it was like special, and I just I feel so honored, and and uh, I did like a special kind of uh, Milwaukee set uh, this year. Um, for the for it uh, in the future, I'd like to uh, hopefully organize some things back home. Maybe do like a charity DJ event, get all the DJ homies together, play sets, whatever. But uh, yeah, man, I was just so honored and just you know, it was just like man, I like I said, I just I feel like uh, I'm honored to have their attention. I'm honored to have their uh, support. Absolutely, so that's huge. No, that so, is yeah, man, so dope. I, I, yeah, man, it was it was it was it was really cool. That's amazing. And and my parents were there because it was the Milwaukee show, so they were there. And, you know, every DJ goes through that moment where your parents are like, what are you doing with your life? How long are you really going to be doing this, right? Yes. I get a little bit of time away from that now because the mayor showed up and gave me an award oh for the whole God. day. So That's yeah. so dope, dude. Congrats. So, so what, well, you I mean, like what, like, what can your parents actually say at that point, right? Like... I know. I get a I get a free pass for a little while. <laughs> for a little while, yeah. For a little while. <laughs> That's so cool, man. Yeah. Well, where can people find you? Um, all of your social media and your website that you're going to embed your stuff in. Yeah, yeah. So the 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 easiest place is just kidcutup.com. Everything links out from kidcutup.com. It's okay. very easy to find. I am on I am on all the social media sites as kidcutup. That's K I D C U T U P. No spaces. Kid, kid cut up kid cut and uh yeah it comes up in search engines nicely that way yes um and uh yeah so uh i'm on instagram a lot i'm on twitter a little uh i'm on facebook a little uh but yeah so the weekly live stream is every thursday 8 p.m pacific standard time and um that is on facebook and it is on uh, ig live right now uh Hopefully soon it will be on my my website as well uh, through Twitch and uh, yeah I'll I'll of course be posting about all that so yeah the best the one best place if you're only going to go to one go to Instagram follow me on Instagram yeah that seems like the main place for everybody that um, is that is my that is definitely the main thing where the most up to date timely stuff happens um, if something else is happening somewhere else I'll be posting about it on my Instagram for sure that's dope. Well, you have any um, last uh, last minute advice for any of the listeners out there, um, whether they're trying to get to your place or just some general stuff for the DJs? I mean, right now, please don't come over to my place because we're all in quarantine. <laughs> okay. Um, I think that's good. Maybe after we'll have like a nice barbecue or something. But Yes. Um, Virtual barbecues. Right. No, afterwards we're having real barbecues. <laughs> Do it for now. Right? Yeah. Uh, virtual barbecues with my virtual meat. Yeah, um, <laughs> that's that's scratch bastard uh, territory right there. <laughs> nah, he's he's. He, I think he's the real deal. I don't think he ventures much into like the. Facebook, no, I just mean he? he's been doing his uh, oh, barbecue, barbecue on yeah, Sundays yeah, yeah. still. You Yo, know, I'm virtually. super down for all of us to meet at his barbecue because yeah, that event's it. amazing. So oh, we can yeah, all just meet so at great. his barbecue too. Like whatever. Yep. Um, but uh, no, honestly, like if if people are if people have questions or whatever, hit me up. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I'm not uh, uh like you can you can reach out to me. I'm a normal person who gets to do crazy things sometimes. So you <laughs> yeah. Know. Well, I feel we, like th- I feel like that's most of us, honestly. I know. You know that's what I mean? True. Like. Yeah, but you, but you yeah, really honestly, help if, the DJ community. Like we thank you from a from all of us. I mean, you have you've made so many amazing edits and things and tools for us to be able to use. You know, I can't. I appreciate imagine. that, man. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. And I and I tell you what, like I I feel like I I take a lot out of this. You know what I mean? Like I I have a career out of this. I have you know growing up, I have an ad- identity out of this. Um, you know, all these different things. Uh, come from this, whether it's like hip hop or, you know, DJing or the music industry or whatever. And I do, I really feel like, uh, I feel good about, you know, putting some things back. Yeah. So even, even if there's only one or two things that really last a long time or whatever, like I'm happy to put things back in, not just take things out. No, you're definitely one of those people that stays putting things back and we appreciate it. So yeah, I, I, I would tell people I do edits every week on DJ City. You know, uh, if you're a member over there, you can check out the stuff over there. Um, you know, get in tune with my social media stuff. Hop in the chat on the uh, the live stream show. You know, say what's up. Send me a message. Uh, yeah, whatever, whatever it is. Yeah, like, you even all... made those scratch uh, podcast scratch sentences. That was pretty amazing too. <laughs> Yo, because I was just listening to all these podcasts. Like all the podcasts in there were all the podcasts I was listening to at the time. It's the best. As a matter of fact, the show is called The Hatch every week because I'm in the middle of rewatching Lost right now. Oh, wow. so you know, it all just you know whatever, man. You just got to be inspired show. out here. Yeah, <laughs> a, a very good quarantine show. Amazing. All right. Well, yo, Kid Cut Up. Kid Cut Up, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for having podcast. me, man. I, I appreciate I appreciate it, man. Thank you for the platform, man. For sure. All right. The 20 Podcast is produced by BeatSource. Join us next week for more interviews as we discuss music that matters to DJs. See you next time. Peace. And that was The 20 with DJ Spider.